Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Then if you got your Bible out there, let's hold them to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, while we're away on vacation, I was uh, impressed to read Acts chapter 14 and some things stood out to me. And so Wednesday evening when uh, we came back and that was the first service back, I began a teaching called Signs and Wonders. Because in that chapter, what the Holy Spirit emphasized to me was the fact that we need signs and wonders today, just like they did throughout the entirety of the Bible, not just the Old Testament. Not just the Gospels, not just through the book of Acts, but throughout the entirety of the whole church age, signs and wonders play a significant role in the salvation of mankind. You do believe that, don't you? And we're going to talk about that. So just a quick review for some of you that maybe if you weren't here on Wednesday evening, Jesus taught that the gospel is to be confirmed with signs and wonders. It's not just a message of words like I present to you a nice sermon or sermonette. And that's wonderful because we need to hear the word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? But then what is spoken needs to be confirmed and should be confirmed with signs following. Look at Mark's gospel, chapter 16 and verse 20. This is Jesus. We'll start with verse 15, read through 20. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And this is the great commission. So he commissioned them to go and preach the gospel where? In all the world. But now I want you to notice who he's talking to and then who he's talking about. And he said to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that, that's their responsibility. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. That's their responsibility, the people who hear. And these signs shall follow only apostles only apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These signs shall follow them that believe the gospel. Isn't that what he said here? Well, what are those signs, Lord? In my name, he says, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, notice the five signs that he shared with them. He was received up into heaven, sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with what? With signs following. So in other words, signs should follow the preaching and teaching of the word of God. It's not just a message that comes in word, but also comes in deed. 
And that, of course, was taught the Apostle Paul. Look in the book of Romans in chapter 15. This is the Apostle Paul. Now remember, Paul used to be Saul of Tarsus. He was an enemy of the cross, an enemy of Christ, an enemy of Christianity. But he saw Jesus on the Damascus Road as he had papers in his hands to throw anyone in, in prison who claimed to be a Christian, right? Sure. He was transformed, of course. He had a change of heart and life when he saw Jesus. Then he was sent out to preach and proclaim the gospel. But who taught Paul the gospel? Jesus did. And as we read these verses, we understand then that Jesus taught him the same thing he taught his disciples back in Mark 16. For I will not venture to speak of it. This is the English standard version in case you got the King James. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles. Notice the reason to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, have, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. Notice he's preached the fullness of the gospel. A fully gospel preached involves a message and signs that follow. Message is spoken, the word is spoken, and signs, of course, confirm the word that is spoken. Look in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1 and verse 5. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. This is the same the Apostle Paul. For when we brought you the good news, and what's the gospel? The good news. It was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Ghost gave you full assurance that what we said was true, and you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So notice it came not just in words, but also with power and with deeds. So the Holy Ghost confirming the word with signs following to give them the assurance that what was spoken was true. Now, we also talked about how signs and wonders were significant in bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and then also getting them into the promised land. Are you glad you've been brought out of Egypt? That's a type of the world and the kingdom of darkness. Aren't you glad you've been washed in the blood and you're saved right now? You know, it took signs and wonders to, for have that, to have that happen. You realize that. Sometimes people don't recognize that, but we'll talk about some of those in a moment. But then, praise God, now that you're in the promised land, you're in Christ, you're experiencing the bliss of being in Christ and all that Christ has provided for us in redemption. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're more than a conqueror. Through your faith, you overcome the world. All those things that Jesus said, you can do all things through Christ who is your strength. They belong to you because you're in Christ. You're no longer in the world. You're in the world, but not of the world. Amen? And so I praise God for that. But then he brought them out of Egypt through signs and wonders, and he got them to the promised land, which took signs and wonders. And look in Psalm 78. And if you've never read this psalm from this perspective, I just encourage you to do so because it's extremely powerful. This, is, this whole psalm is talking about the history of Israel and God dealing with them when they came out of Egypt and got them into the promised land and how God was displeased with them from time to time because rather than serving him like they should have, they kind of walked away from him and turned their back on him, even though they saw signs like your eyes have never seen or witnessed or mine. And it just makes you wonder. But notice God's attitude. How oft... Did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? 
Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Did you know you can limit what God does in your life? They limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy, how he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. And if you put it all together, you have to read verses 12 all the way through 55, and we won't take the time to do that here this morning. But it talks about God saying to them, look, you saw those 10 plagues. Look, you saw a cloud by day and a fire by night. Look, you saw angels appear and separate you from the enemy and protect you. And when you got to the Red Sea, you saw the mighty waters of the Red Sea part and congeal on either side, and you walked across on dry land. You know, common sense tells you that if it's the bottom of the sea, it's not dry. But you walked on dry land, and when you got to the other side, you turned back, and you saw the enemy killed. All the Egyptians, the army that was against you, was they were all dead. You saw that, and it goes on and on, and so many more things that they saw. 4,500 tons of manna coming down from heaven, 11 million gallons of water coming out of a rock to provide for their need. And do you remember when they said, they, they murmured to Moses and said, can God provide us a table in the wilderness? God said, watch me. And he brought them quail from everywhere, so much so that it was waist high as far as the eye can see. And that was calculated to be billions of quail in a place where there's no quail to be found. Can God provide a table in the wilderness? Next time you think, can God really meet my need? I owe 75 cents on this credit card. Can he really do that? Oh, he can do it. He can meet every need according unto his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But the thing was, they saw that, and yet still it didn't motivate them to serve God. Signs and wonders will bring us to, the, to, to God. But then you know what? He expects us to walk in faith and live by faith after that. Not that you couldn't see more signs and wonders, but you know what? We need to learn to walk by faith because when they got to the walls of Jericho, after seeing all those signs and wonders, what did they do? They failed to enter in. They failed to believe that God would deliver them as they came to those walls of Jericho. It took a whole generation to pass before they would raise up another Joshua generation to get them into the promised land. Delayed the plan of God for 40 years. Why? Because of they, their rebellion and unbelief. We're told Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 tell us because of their unbelief. They couldn't get to the promised land. They wouldn't believe God. Even though they saw the Red Sea part. Even though they saw the cloud and the fire. They, they saw that. Think about it. What does it take to get people to truly believe God? All right. Then uh, number four. We said that the early church also knew the value of signs and wonders in ministry. And look at Acts chapter 14, and this is the one that really prompted me to really target this and focus on this verse 3. This is Acts chapter 14, verse 3. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message. Don't you love it when God proves the message? Was true, how? By giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. Some people will never believe until they experience a sign or a wonder. But that's what they're there for. And for the most part, obviously, it's for the unbelieving. Believers should believe. And we can have signs and wonders even though we believe. But anyhow, what are the purpose of these signs and wonders? First of all, they glorify God and they prove the messianic ministry of Jesus. Look in uh, Matthew's gospel in chapter 11. 
verse 1 through 6, and this is from the English Standard Version of the Bible. And as we read this, I want you to put yourself in this, this place that John the Baptist was in. When Jesus had finished instructing the tw his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John the Baptist heard in prison, where's he at? In prison, about the deeds, notice the deeds of Christ, not just the message, but the deeds of Christ. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Hold on just for a moment, John. Where's John? In prison. He's asking this question because he's in an environment right now that's not really conducive to his faith. He's being challenged. Let me ask you a question. Is he not the same John the Baptist who baptized Jesus in water? Is he not the same John the Baptist when Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit of God come like a dove and light upon the shoulder of Jesus and he heard a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased, hear ye him? Is that not the same John the Baptist? What does that tell you and me? You know what that tells us? Even though these tremendous workings of God's power take place, when you find yourself challenged in a difficult situation and in an environment not conducive to spiritual things, to keep you in tune with spiritual things, it's easy to doubt, even if you're John the Baptist. Is it not? Sure it is. Well, here's what happens. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John two things. What you hear, the message, and what you see, the signs and wonders. Notice how these two go together. It's not just the message. It's the performance of it as well. And look at this. The blind, re this is Jesus speaking to convince John the Baptist that he is still the same person, the Messiah, who was to come even though he baptized him in water. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is he, is the one who is not offended in me. What's Jesus all about? Jesus is all about preaching good news to the poor. He was sent to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering a sight to the blind, set at liberty to bruise, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus is all about not just establishing churches. We can come together and just say, I put my duty and I put my time in on a Sunday morning. No, Jesus came to minister life to hurting humanity. He came to save us from our fallen condition. He came to heal our physical bodies. He came to deliver us and set us free. He came to give us a hope, praise God, a blessed hope that we have in him that death does not have the final say. And that when we leave this realm of life, we have a destination with him in glory and we're going to depart and be with him forever and reign with him forever because of what he's done for us. So number one, what does it do? It gives testimony to the fact that he is the Messiah who was to come, and it glorifies God. So when people are delivered, saved, healed, delivered, and set free, it glorifies God. Amen. And it proves his messianic ministry. But then also, number two, it convinces people of the truth, and that's a little bit of an error there. That should be John 20, 30, and 31, not 31 and 32. But let's pick up right there. Look at these two verses. So you can change that in your notes. 
and many other signs. Everybody say signs. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, John went on to say that if they were written, the world couldn't contain the books. The universe couldn't contain the books. Can you imagine how many things were done by Jesus when he walked on this planet? If they were all recorded, the universe couldn't contain the books. Amazing when you think about that. But these are written. These are hand-selected by the Holy Ghost, written for us, for our admonition. Why? That you might believe. They were written for us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you might have life through his name. So all those signs and wonders that confirm the word spoken, they were recorded for us so that we would believe also on Jesus and know that he is the Messiah and that he is the Christ and he died for our sins and so on. And that's why, beloved, of all the other so-called religions of the world, Christianity is not a religion, it's a reality. It's a relationship with the living God. All those other religions that are out there that people are trying to promote, they don't have an empty grave because the greatest sign ever given to mankind was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The grave could not hold him down. Oh, praise God. Okay, number three, we already said that, but notice it confirms the word in Mark 16, 20. We don't need to throw that one up there. We just read that. They went forth, they preached everywhere. The Lord confirmed the word with signs following. But if you recall the story of the man that was born of four, Recall that they let him down through the ceiling. Can you imagine? Here I am standing here preaching to all of you, and all of a sudden, someone's, someone's body is just slowly coming down on a cot. And, oh, excuse me, just for a moment, everybody. We've got to find out what's going on here. And Jesus looks at the man and says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And all the Pharisees are up in arms and all the scribes are up in arms. Who do you think you are that you, you can possibly forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. Well, I think he was giving them a hint. <laughs> Don't you? That he is God. He said, okay, all right. He called them hypocrites all the time. But anyhow, he said, look, which is easier to say, man, your sins are forgiven you, or say, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know, that you may know, not because I'm saying it, because of what you hear, but now because of what you see, that you may know the Son of Man has power to forgive sins on this earth in human lives. I say to you, sick of the palsy, take up your bed and walk. And he arose and went. And it goes on to say, and they were ashamed. They were ashamed. Think about it. Signs and wonders have always been key to what? Getting people to understand and know and believe the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. You've heard me say this before. When T.L. Osborne went over to India and he began to preach and proclaim Jesus to a huge uh, Muslim population, you know, they got out their Koran and just said, you know, we got our, you got your Bible, we got our book. He said, we got big churches, we got big churches too, we got a big following, we got a big following too. He came back with his tail between his legs because he didn't know how to reach these people. Well, God spoke to him and showed him, you're not going to do that just by a message that you have. You've got to show or demonstrate who I am, that I am God. Remember when 
when um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal were up on Mount Carmel, and remember, they were halting between two opinions, and he said, hey, if Baal's God serve him, but if Jehovah be God serve him, well, how are we going to prove it? We have a message. How are we going to prove it? We've got men represented both companies. How are we going to prove it? Remember? He said, well, let's do this. Build yourself an altar. Whoever answers by fire, let him be God. And then remember, Elijah had sport. He played sport with all those prophets of Baal. They went through all their gyrations and all that. He's making fun of them. He says, uh, when they didn't answer by fire, but they provided the, the sacrifice and, and all that. And he said, call upon the name of the Lord your God. Come on, shout out to Baal and see if there's any divine intervention for you. And, and nothing happened. And time went on and nothing happened. And, they kept, and he kept saying, well, maybe he's sleeping. He's taking a rest. Give him a little bit more time and maybe he'll answer. Then he went on to say, well, you know what? Who knows? Maybe he took a bathroom break or something like that. You never, never know what's going on here, right? Okay, nothing happened. But then Elijah says that they may know. Well, first of all, he gets buckets of water, and what does he do? Fills all the trenches around the sacrifice with water. Douses the water, just covers the sacrifice with water. How many of you know that water and fire don't go together too well? And if fire's going to come and do anything, you shouldn't have a lot of water. You know, when I say your wood's wet, it means you're not fired up yet because, you know, your wood's just still wet. You ever try to light fire that's soaked with water? It doesn't work very well. So he made sure that it was all filled. Plus, there's another reason besides that. You can find this in your commentaries. They actually believe. See, we're, they're not like we are in this country. We're too reserved. We're too probably educated and too whatever. I don't know. Out of those trenches that were beneath the sacrifice, they believed that spirits could come out from the earth and come up and do some things and there could be some kind of activity that would take place and so he made sure that everything was just trenched in water just drenched in water all the trenches and everything and the sacrifice and all he said now lord that they may know that you are god send the fire and the fire came down from heaven burned up the sacrifice and licked up all the water and they stood there Nothing else could convince them, see, not his message or anything. But when they saw the display of God's sign and wonders, all his miracles, all of a sudden, then they, sh then they turned back to God. And all those prophets, they were judged because they led the people of God astray. So we serve a God who answers by fire. Can you say amen? Amen. So he has his word that he proclaims, but also signs and wonders took place as well uh, to confirm that word. And so these scribes and Pharisees, when they saw this take place in this man's life, then they had a change of heart, at least to some degree. Okay, and then finally, to direct our faith towards God's power. It's sad to say, but in our country today, in many, many, many established churches, there's just no power. And guess what? When it should be the norm, because it's not, when people come to a church like ours and they see it, they run scared they run Why? because they haven't seen it they don't see the power of God on display and in manifestation but look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and this is Paul speaking once again taught by Jesus and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Did you get that? How will people ever have faith in the power of God if we don't see the power of God at work? They're not going to be able to. And that's why in many places we don't see anything happening. And that's a sad scenario, to be honest with you. Because it's important to the message that the message be confirmed through signs following. So if I preach to you a message on salvation, there should be some people getting saved. If I preach to you a message on healing, then there should be a confirmation healing's taking place. If you've been healed in this ministry, would you raise your hand? Better yet, stand up. I'm talking about supernatural, the power of God, the supernatural power of God. Look at, look at around the church here. Why? Because God will confirm his word with signs following. Amen? Let's give God glory before you're seated. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Now, there are some people even today that object to uh, the teaching of signs and wonders, and they based it on Matthew chapter 12. Just to show you how people can really take scripture out of context. Look at Matthew chapter 12. And some say, well, we shouldn't be preaching and teaching about signs and wonders because they've ended, they've been done away with and all that. But is that really the case? Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Notice who he, who's asking the question. The doubting Pharisees and scribes and all that. Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, he's saying, Your sign is when you see me raised from the dead. Your sign is when you see me come out of that grave. Your sign will be when you see the rock rolled away, the stone thrown away. It'll be when you see those Roman soldiers running scared because they're going to run for their lives because they can't find me because I'm not there. That'll be your sign. He was not saying signs and wonders aren't important. What he was saying was, you're an evil and wicked people. And no matter how many signs you see, you still will not believe. That's what he was referring to. So he wasn't talking about we shouldn't ask God or pray for signs and wonders. Just like the early church did because they sure did. Now Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. Look at these scriptures here. Start with Acts chapter 2. Look at the importance he places or the significance he places on signs and wonders and manifestation when they got together and proclaimed the message of the gospel. Look at here. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. You know what, why fear came on them? You, t- you want to talk about a sign? Because Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead right in front of the church. They lied to the Holy Ghost about what they sold their property for. And right there, because they lied to the Holy Ghost, Peter said, not, not to man, but to the Holy Ghost, they both fell over dead. Would that be a sign that would get your attention? Anybody here? Would that get your attention? You think that might deter lying? A little bit. Whoa. Okay, so many other signs. Let's go on. Acts chapter 5, look at verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And after that, it talks about how the shadow of Peter, they brought people that were sick, and they were healed. Okay? Those were signs and wonders as well. But you see, some people that are kind of negative, they'll say, but those were the apostles. I'm glad you said that. Go to Acts chapter 6. 
Stephen, who was Stephen? He wasn't an apostle. He was just a disciple like anybody else. Full of faith and power. Can you be full of faith and power? You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. Stephen, full of faith and power, and look at and did great wonders and miracles among the people. So now we have Stephen. We're not talking about an apostle here. Go to chapter 8 and verse 6. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. You see how it just continues on? Absolutely. Throughout all the book of Acts. Then you got another one in Acts chapter 15. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So here we see throughout the book of Acts an emphasis on signs and wonders confirming the word of God. So throughout the entirety of the Bible, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, which you're going to see all the way to the book of Revelation, God will always manifest himself, his presence, his power in demonstrations of signs and wonders so as to get people to believe and also to meet the needs of people. And that's another reason for him to manifest his glorious power. So let's throw some things up there. Let's go to the Old Testament and the New, New Testament book of Acts and all that. Let's throw these um, particular things up there. Go first of all, someone says, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist or I don't believe in God. Well, first of all, if someone told me they were an atheist, didn't believe in God, I would just say you're not smart enough to be an atheist. Because if you were smart enough to be an atheist, that means you would know, you'd be able to explain creation, where man came from, the design of the universe. You wouldn't be able to explain how everything works. And you can't. Because you don't know. It's all a guess. But you know what? I'm going to give them a simple answer. You want a sign? Look up and see a rainbow. Oh, that's too simplistic, is it? What does that rainbow signify? God will never destroy the earth ever again by a flood. You want a sign? There's a sign right there. What about the life of Moses? We've mentioned those already. The plagues that got Pharaoh to believe that God meant business. The cloud by day, the fire by night, the Red Sea, the man of the water the, uh, that came out of a rock, 11 million gallons, the quail that came, right? We talked about Elijah. The fire came down for what reason? To prove to them that Jehovah is God. So just saying it was the message, but there was a display of God's awesome power to convince them. Then what about this one? And this one, if it doesn't get you going, once again, if it doesn't get you fired up, your, wet is, your, your wood is wet. Hezekiah was told, you die. What a message to hear. Get your house in order for today, you're going to die. Of course, he turns his face to the wall and he repents. And Isaiah is spoken to by God and said, now go back and tell him I heard his, I saw his tears, I heard his cry. And tell him I'm going to add 15 more years to his life. So he goes back to tell him that and he goes, what do you want the Lord to do for a sign to show you that he meant to add 15 more years? Do you want the shadow of the sundown to go ahead or to go back 10 degrees? He said, well, what is it? think about that what is it for it to go ahead it's probably the momentum is just gonna god will just blow and the earth will just go a little bit he said but it's a whole different ball game when you turn back the shadow on the sundown remember that so what happens it goes back imagine that 
to prove to someone that God meant his word, he turns the whole universe back. You missed a good time to shout. <laughs> Think about that. Then you got your skeptics out there. I don't believe it. I know you wouldn't believe it even if someone was raised from the dead. Let that sink in. Because that's a whole lot bigger than turning back time. Right? Okay, and then what about, um, how about these? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were known for their meeting place. They're the youth group that met in a burning, fiery furnace. <laughs> they were on fire for God. <laughs> I'm telling you, they were a fired up group. <laughs> but they didn't burn. Right? Do you think that Nebuchadnezzar, when he looked inside there and saw the fire had no power over them. But to make it clear, obviously, you know, you got skeptics. Well, it just wasn't hot enough. Well, it burned up all, his, this, this, all the, slave, the servants that threw them in, and they died before they ever got into the furnace. You think it wasn't hot enough? Well, it was hot enough. But you see, there was a fourth man in the burning, fiery furnace. And what was his name? Oh, glory to God. He said, when you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. And what did Nebuchadnezzar say after that? There's no God that can deliver like this. You think that convinced them? What convinced them was what? The miracle. You got Daniel in the lion's den and that goes. But then also, what about this? This woman, this widow woman is in debt because her husband died and they were in debt. And what they need to do is to pay their bills, but they can't pay their bills. And she's got one son. And as a result, they want to take him and have him be their slave and pay off the debt. So she appeals to the prophet. And the prophet says, well, what do you have? Do you have anything? She goes, I just got this little cruise of oil. That's all the little bit left. He said, well, fine. That's all you need. Go out and find as many vessels as you possibly can. As many throughout the entire neighborhood, get as many vessels as you possibly can and gets them all together, puts them in the house and says, is this all there is? Yep. And she starts pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. And every vessel is filled up and filled up and filled up until finally he says, is that all there is? Yep. That's all there is. Okay. Here's what he says. Well, now go ahead, sell this, pay off your debt and live off the rest. What a retirement. What a fund. Can you imagine that? It paid off all the debt and had enough for her to live for the rest of her life. Isn't that the goodness of God right there? Isn't that wonderful? Think about how much God loves us that he would do something like that to get our attention let us know. Then, of course, you got this. Balaam's mule. Our dog's name is Rocky. And when Rocky goes by the door, and you know what it means. He needs to go outside and have a little bit of alone time, okay? And so if I'm doing something or any of us here in the house doing something, and he's, he's over there looking like this at us, and the door's there, and he's looking at us, and nobody's paying attention. And usually he barks. Can you imagine if he would have turned over and just said, hey, Dante, <laughs> open the door. Would that get your attention? Well, that stir you up. Well, Balaam's mule spoke to him supernaturally. You think that would cause a person to wake up and sober up? I would think so. And then when Elisha, who took the mantle of Elijah, 
who said that I want a double portion of the anointing, but how will I know I have it? He said, if you see Elijah, my servant, go up in the, in the chariot of fire, uh, then you'll know, and the mantle will fall, and then you will know then that God has granted you a double portion of the anointing. And so what does he do? He sees him go up. You talk about a sign and a wonder in a chariot of fire to heaven, translocated, never died. And then all of a sudden he sees the mantle fall. He picks it up. He walks over to the Jordan River. And what does he do? He smites it and it parts. Pretty convincing, wouldn't you say, that God's in the thing. And we can go on. The sun stood still for Joshua until he finished their fight. Can you imagine that? Thank God that doesn't work today because can you imagine some husbands and wives going at it? Hey, Lord. Never mind. Depends on who's winning. Usually she's winning, but just to let you know, I need more time. Well, you think that would capture someone's attention? I think it would. Then what about in the New Testament? Look at some of these. These are the, the uh, miracles of Jesus. The first miracle reported in the scriptures by Jesus was turning water into wine at a wedding ceremony. Now, you would think that the first miracle that Jesus ever did would be something a lot more profound than that. But what does that appeal to? His compassionate heart. You know, Mary said to his servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. That's good advice from Mary. Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever Jesus says, do it. That's good advice for us today, wouldn't you say? Whatever he says, what? Do it. Right? Do it. Okay. And of course, he turned water into wine and took care of the need that was there. So there wouldn't be any embarrassment among the people, or the, the, the governor of the feast. Okay. You know the story. He walked on water. Can, can you see me standing on the middle of the Howe River? How you doing, everybody? Jesus saves. <laughs> it's been a long week. <laughs> Jesus heals <laughs> both sides. I'll be there in a moment. Give me a moment. My socks are wet. Can you imagine that? And what about food multiplied? He multiplied the loaves and the fishes, and he fed 5,000. Remember? He fed all those people with leftovers. How do you get leftovers from that? But he did. The fig tree cursed. The storm that was cursed. The dead that were raised. Lazarus was dead. Here's the thing. The beauty about Jesus. So I taught this a Friday at the healing class. That when Jesus found out that he was sick nine to death. He just said that he's. This is not for death. He said he's not going to die. He said it's for the glory of God. That, that the son of God would be glorified thereby. But you know what? He died. And he told his disciples that he died. And they couldn't understand it. Because he said it's not unto death. And so finally he just said. Look he's sleeping. He's dead. I'm going to go wake him up out of sleep. I'm going to raise him up from the dead. Then he gets there. Mary, his, his, the sister, his sisters go out and tell Jesus, you know, if you were here, he wouldn't have died and all that. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus waited four days until his body was beginning to decay? Because you see, it's a whole lot easier to raise someone from the dead if they've only been dead for one day. Than four. Right? <laughs> right? He wanted to make sure he was not just dead, but really dead. And his body was decaying. Then he stands there and just says, Lazarus, come forth. Aren't you glad he didn't just say come forth? Every dead body would have come out of the grave. <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. Okay. And then... <laughs> And then, of course, we have miracles that are revealed in the book of Acts. And if you go through the book of Acts, here's what you find. The lame were healed. The dead were raised. 
prison doors were open, angel visitations. And someone says, but all that stopped with the apostles. But my objection is, they weren't apostles that did these things. One man was Cornelius, who was a centurion of the Italian band. And if an Italian can do this, anybody can do it. <laughs> My grandmother would say, doozy pots. <laughs> and for those of you that are, don't know, that means you're crazy. <laughs> doozy pots, you're crazy. Well, anyhow, they were not all apostles. Okay, they were not all apostles. They were disciples, like any of us. And real quickly, I came from a, from a background of religion. I had no idea that God was real. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. And you know what? I just, I'm so blessed and so thankful that I just stepped into, uh, stepped into walking by faith and learning uh, about the things of God without any bias whatsoever. Yeah. Without any bias whatsoever. I mean, I just started to read my Bible and I, I believe what it said. Isn't that something? I just believed what it said. Okay, really quick, and then we'll close. I believe what the Bible said. So before I ever went to school, School at Rama. Yes, this was before I went to school at Rama. 1978. My dad, you have to know my dad. Bless his sweetheart. He's very vocal. He tells the pastor of a local church, a Christian assembly church, on the south side of Youngstown, he tells them, my son preaches at our Bible study. So he says, uh, my, you know, he preaches at the Bible study. Why don't you let him preach for you? Now remember, I just quit school because I didn't want to speak in front of anybody. A little Bible study, if, you know, I didn't mind sharing a little bit. So he tells me this, and the pastor gets a hold of me and says, I'd like you to have, just to come. We don't have a whole lot of people in our church. It's a small church and all that. But would you come and just share some of the things that you've learned at our church? I was getting ready to go to Ramah. I said, oh, okay, I agree to it. I just said that, like not even thinking about it. Well, after I said that, I started preparing for it. I thought, well, it can't be that bad. I do it with about you know, 15, 20 people that are here in this Bible study. How, how much worse can it be? There's just a few people that are out there. I walked into the church. It was packed. Every pew was filled. People came out of the woodwork. My family came. Other people that probably didn't go to church all the time came because this fellow was going to come and, and share some things. And so now that I'm looking out there and it's full, I'm like, what did I do? Why did I say yes? His practice was there was a bench back there. He'd go up there and get on his knees and just say a little prayer. I said, I hope you're praying for me. I was sweating bullets. It started coming down my face. And I mean, it wasn't that hot in there, but I'm just so nervous. I'm sweating bullets. You think I preach fast? You think that when I first came here, I preached fast? Because I've been, you know, told I should be arrested for how fast I was, you know, speeding behind the pulpit. Well, I didn't know what to do. I just began to quote every scripture that I knew. 
if a, except a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of God. If any man be in Christ, he's the he's a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. And I just took off and I preached this message for about 40 minutes, non-stop, boom, 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 just bullet point after bullet point after bullet point after bullet point. And then I thought, what do I do now? I had never been in a Pentecostal church, and here I am by myself. The pastor's down there somewhere. What do I do next? And after I got done and said amen, I said, well, I guess I should ask if anybody needs prayer. So I asked if they needed prayer. And the altar filled up. There were people kneeling down. There was a little rail. So the people were kneeling down like that. And this started from over here. And this one lady's over here. Now, I've never done this before. You have to understand where I'm coming from. I never did this before. I never saw this before. She's on her knees over there, and I walk over here like this here and said, um, ma'am, what would you like? I started to say God to do for you. What would you like? God? Some unseen power picked her up and threw her 10 feet back. <laughs> to my surprise, and I looked over to the next lady over here. She looked up at me. <laughs> I said, what do you want? <laughs> I don't know if she was more scared or if I was more scared. But, oh my. I, I'm, I'm really like cool and collected like as if this happens every day. You know, this, this, this happens every day. That was my first experience. And I can go on and on and share with you so many other experiences, seeing an angel having the glory of God fall when I preach up in the prayer mountain. But I don't want to do all that just to let you know that this, when it's God, it's God. It's not you. Someone says, why are you out here in no man's land and you've got a church out here? I, I don't know. Ask God because he's the one that did it. Okay. He's the one that put it together. I didn't do it. Nothing to do with it. You know, you know, we have that advertisement down there on Tusker. How many of you have seen the advertisement of our church? Finally, we got a billboard up there. It finally came open, so we got it, and we're advertising it because of all the influx of people coming into the area because of all that's going on, you know, around here with the construction and all that, and we're just being prepared, letting people know. I don't, thank God for advertisement, but advertisement is in here. When God moves and saves and heals and delivers and sets people free, and even though someone contacted the police to get it down because it offends them, which is a true story, we're not going to listen to that. Okay. I said all that for this. Andrew, come here. Come up here with me, son. On July the 20th, we're going to have an interview with the 700 Club. They're coming down here. We're going to meet and do an interview and give his testimony to be put on the 700 Club after July the 20th. Okay. Amen. Amen. Because signs and wonders are for today, just as they were back then. And if you might be sitting out there, you never heard his testimony, I'm just going to quickly tell you. But um, signs and wonders, people in churches everywhere, they don't believe that it's all done, all miracles are gone and all that. But I don't believe that for a second. And we've got proof right here. And that's a fact. Because today's his 16th birthday. And 16 years ago today, we were told he will not live through the night that they lost him twice during a heart catheterization at 14 hours old. And there's no possible way he can make it through heart surgery. So we could bring him in and let him die in your arms, or we could take him into surgery, let him die in there, take your pick. That was the prognosis. That's it. 22Q11, DeGeorge, partial DeGeorge syndrome, 
184 health issues, no left pulmonary artery, born blue, his face was as blue as his shirt. Is that black or blue? I don't even know. <laughs> okay, anyhow. And these head cardiologists at Children's Hospital gave us the, the grim news that that's it. There's just no way he can live. He'll never make it through the catheterization. But you know, when in the birthing room, God spoke to me and said, oh, I'm telling you, it was a horrible situation. Fear not, only believe. Those four words became the foundational uh, position for our faith. That was the foundational ground upon which we based our faith. And when my mother-in-law says, what's going to happen, Andrew? I said, we believe. See, when you hear those two words, we believe, they may not sound all that impacting, but when God says to you, only believe, and you take him at his word, everything the doctors told us could not be done in his life. When they walked out the room, we said, but we believe. And my wife came up with a left pulmonary artery song after we asked God to give him a left pulmonary artery song, I mean, a pulmonary artery, and he grew a left pulmonary artery out of nothing to perfect size in, in ten, nine months. When they said he doesn't have an immune system, it's like an eighth patient. He'll die probably from any kind of a sickness or disease, infections or anything like that. And he contracted a, at 15 days old, a staph infection in the heart, a Broviac gland infection, chicken pox infection, and also um, rotavirus infection in the first nine months of his life without an immune system. He lived, we believe. And then the list, his, his immune system recovered after 10 months when they said it would take five years if it ever recovered. And if you look up the George syndrome, you'll see 184 health issues connected with that syndrome. And they said, in his, anyone in this situation, especially with the tetralogy of flow, which is four conditions of the heart, not just the hole in the heart, the valve, the pulmonary stenosis. And I mean, the list went on and on. He couldn't suck. He couldn't swallow. He couldn't breathe. He was on a feeding tube. They told us he'd be on a feeding tube for the rest of his life. And the list goes on. His book is out there. You can read it if you haven't gotten it, gotten it yet. But we just kept saying that we believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. And when they did the next catheterization and this Indian doctor came out and he saw that it was normal size, he about danced the jig right there in the um, waiting room with all these other people that were there shouting, it's normal size, it's normal size. He has a left pulmonary artery, it's normal size. And then um, when he was six years old and he's driving his little Hot, Hot Wheels car, Lightning McQueen, around, <laughs> pretty professional at it, by the way around Beaver Cemetery, and he stops it, and he says, hey, Mom, there's a Jesus, a statue he pointed to, and uh, she said, you mean uh, like the handouts we give to you at church? No, Mommy, don't you remember how he came when I was a baby? He told me he would give me a whole heart and make me big. Of course, she put on the brakes then. She said, what? Yeah, remember he told me he would give me a whole heart and make me big? Did you see Jesus? Yeah. Was he scary? No. Was he shiny? Uh-huh. And he's a very nice guy. He's a very nice guy. He proceeded to say that he saw heaven, streets of gold, the golden. His term was there, golden. He said the flowers sing, and they're beautiful, and the colors are brighter than our, than our colors here on earth. And really, if you've ever read anybody else's testimony that's been to heaven, they say the same thing. You know, 
imagine. He also said that he was talking to Jesus on a bench who said to him, Andrew, called you my name. You've got to go back and tell people about me. So you can imagine when my wife called me at Dante's football practice and said, you'll never guess what Andrew just told me today. He was six years old at the time. Of course, after this dialogue with her, we realized that they lost him twice during the cantorization. They said, we, they barely brought him back. And we figured that had to be the time that he had the experience of leaving his body and going to heaven, having a conversation with Jesus, who sent him back and said, you've got to tell people about me. And I can attest to you today that that's all Andrew does is tell people about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And when do you want Jesus to come back? This year. <laughs> On what day? I don't know. The feast? Yeah, that'll be cool. <laughs> Anyhow, so if someone's wondering about are there signs and wonders today? He's a sign and a wonder. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, son. Would you like to preach a message? I'm not that very good. <laughs> oh, praise God Almighty. Amen. He's not that very good. Well, I believe you got enough to say. Amen. So there are signs and wonders, and there are miracles. And the thing is, if we didn't believe the way we believe, he wouldn't be here today. And I can go into greater depth of that. But let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence, to God first, and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you, and God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I now accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.